I never have figured how they can make a horn sound like it's ripping its britches, but they can do it. They get that sound out of it. Oh, me. I like to listen to it if I can't do it. How about you? This church, years I've been coming here, has always been blessed with great talent. First time I ever was at Life Tabernacles has been many years ago, 1968 or 9. Brother Spell and I was just talking today, and I mentioned it, and uh, you all hadn't been very long in the building up front. And uh, it sure looks in bad shape tonight, I'll tell you right now. It's like it hadn't eaten a long time, lost all of its weight, ended up being a skeleton. But uh, looking at the prints on the wall and the, the uh, anticipation of better things, this has always been a church going forward. I like that, don't you? You should be very proud and grateful to be a part of a moving church church with such zeal and drive and that that zeal and drive is uh, a speaking compliment of the pastorate of this church and the administration of God that has led this church forward you're a blessed people and I feel blessed just to be a part of it these few nights celebrating 26 exciting years for the Lord God is such a master at blessing us and prospering us in his will. I promise you tonight I'll do my best not to be lengthy and keep you a long time, but I made it up in my mind that when I got here this time, I was just going to do whatever I felt like doing. You know, if you get invited back this many times, after a while you just start feeling at home, just act yourself. And that's how I want to do. I was in an elevator several years ago at a Methodist hospital in Indianapolis and uh, there was a clergyman there in the elevator with my wife and I uh, after a few moments of conversation found that he pastored the Prince of Peace Lutheran Church in the town where I was born and raised and uh, he asked me what kind of a ministry I did, and I told him that I was not a pastor, which I wasn't at that time. I was an evangelist, and he didn't even know what an evangelist was, and I explained to him what the work of evangelism was. And he scratched his head, and he said, it just baffles me. He said, I get, I get um, two sermons a week that I have to preach, Sunday morning and Sunday afternoon. And I get my Sunday morning sermon in the mail from headquarters. And he said, I start on Monday morning studying and worrying to get a sermon together all by myself for Sunday night. And he said, sometimes I can just barely get it together. He said, I can't figure how in the world you can get a sermon for every night of the week to the same congregation. I said, well, you would have a greater opportunity in your church to get one than what I would when I tell you how I get a sermon. I said, I go to church, feel the mind of God, and look at the lives of the people. So you ought to be able to go home and get a lot of sermons out of your congregation. Amen. He grinned and laughed, but I think he thought on that when he went home. Praise the Lord. I'd like to draw your attention tonight to an old story in the Bible. 
It's found in the book of Kings. In the second book of Kings. story that we all have preached from many times. The story about four men, and they were in very pitiful condition. Probably not as pitiful condition as some are today, but they were in a pitiful condition. The Bible said they were leprous men. They were afflicted with a dreaded disease of leprosy. And beginning from the seventh chapter of Second Kings in the third verse, reading a portion of that story, I'd like to speak to you tonight on another common thought. I hope you've had a little more peace and confusion today. And there were four leprous men at the entering of the gate. And they said to one another, a phrase that we've all quoted one time or another, why sit we here until we die? If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. If we sit still here, we die also. Now therefore, come and let us fall unto the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. If they kill us, we shall but die. And they rose up in the twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. When they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. For the Lord had made the host of Syrians to hear a noise of chariot and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said to one another, Lo, the king of Israel is hard against us, the king of the Hittites and the king of the Egyptians to come upon us. Therefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their life. When these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent and did eat and drink, and carried sent silver and gold and raiment, and went and hid it, and came again, and entered into another tent, and carried thence also, and went and hid it. Amen. You may be seated tonight. Messages that deal with our everyday life are more valuable to us than really messages that give us envisionary feelings of something yet to come. So many times we find ourselves either preaching about our failures of the past or taking the other extremity and preaching about hopes of the future in order to keep ourselves a little glued together and we fail to spend a little time around what's going on right now. So I would rather tonight for just a little while to spend a little time around right now, just right here and right now. I have known uh, it to be very prominent in church as well as in all facets of life today that people do not have the stamina, the intestinal fortitude of strength that apparently was once 
a norm among the early settlers of our world or our country. There is not, there's not the grit, there's not the glue that we once appreciated in people's lives. Oh, I'm sure there's still enough of it around to keep some of us together, but there needs to be a whole lot more. I want to, I want to deal tonight with a little bit of that stick two of type philosophy, but I want to use these four leprous men as the building blocks of this thought. Notice the Bible said there was four leprous men, and they were in the entry of a good place to go and to be, and that was a fortified city. So they wasn't in too bad of a location for their problem. And it was apparent to them that it was a matter of time that the terminal sickness that they had was going to overcome them and they would succumb. And so they began to converse one with another. They began to talk about their problem. Psychiatrists and psychologists say the best way to resolve a problem is to start talking about it. Get it out front and deal with it. And so as they began to talk with one another, they said that if we sit where we are, we're going to die. Okay, we're going to die here sitting. And if we, if we enter into the city, there's a famine in the city, and we'll starve to death when we get in there anyway, so there's not much use going in there. And then he said if we would get up and go into the host of the Syrians which have been camped about the city to destroy it and we go into their camp and they fall upon us and kill us we're going to die anyhow pretty, pretty bad looking situation isn't it if we sit here we die if we go in the city we die if we go over there we die pretty well look like death anywhere you go and so these men decided among themselves that since the situation was pretty well like it was, that it was a die-anywhere type situation, well, they said, then why do we just sit here, period, you know? Why just sit here? I've said this, there is something worse than dying, and that's dying doing nothing. Hallelujah. Dying just doing nothing at all. And so I want to borrow a phrase that's an old phrase. It's a phrase that's as old as war. It's a phrase that our president this week in a newspaper statement made. It's a statement that's been made by many a captain in many armies. It's been said by many of individual, whether they quoted it in this phrase or not, through the years. If I'm not mistaken, there's even been a movie named by my phrase tonight. So I want to use this for my theme, and I hope to use it as a prop, to prop some of us up a little bit. And I want to use the phrase, never say die. Amen. Never say die. As a youngster growing up, we always had a little thing where we was beating up on somebody or pinning them down, we'd say, say uncle. Did you ever do that? A calf rope or something like that. And uh, I remember as a young and growing up to say uncle was the hardest thing for me to do. 
I hated to give in, you know, be whipped. I remember one time my older brother Tommy, and he was always bigger than myself. He was healthy and robust and strong, and as a young and I was always puny. And uh, he would hold me down, and he'd get my head in a hammer lock, and he would Dutch rub, you know, and it felt like he was pulling out every bit of my hair. And he'd say, say uncle. And I'd say, no, that's probably the reason I don't have any more hair than I've got now. Because I wouldn't say no. And I remember one time he got me down on my stomach and pulled my leg up behind me and set it in my back and pulled my leg up till he nearly unjoined me and he got my shoe off and sock off and put my big toe in his mouth. I don't know how he stood it. I didn't wash my feet that regular, but he did it. He bit down on my toe and he said, you'll say, Uncle, or I'll bite it off. I said, bite it off, bud. I ain't hollering, Uncle. <laughs> and he bit till I cried, but I never did say, Uncle. Amen. Now, maybe that stubborn, bullheaded Irishman in me. But there's a lot of folk today that holler, Uncle, just too quick to make me happy. Amen. They just give in too quickly to make me happy. And I like the grit that these four men conjured up among themselves. That they said to themselves, if we, if we just sit here and if we don't do anything, we're going to die. And if we are going to die, let us die standing on our feet going somewhere. Amen with our lives. Glory to God. I, I don't know. I, I never was a fighter, too ugly to be a lover. And I was always kind of in the middle that I admired the lovers and the fighters, you know. The good old John Wayne, he was a little bit of both. We miss him, won't we? It's a crying shame we don't have him in the church fist fighting and, and all that business. So I read an article in, in Reader's Digest some time back about, what is that fellow's name? Played Maverick, James Gardner. Uh, played uh, cowboy in westerns years back, and big six foot plus man. He was so big in stature that that uh, they made a ruling that Humane Society filed charges in Hollywood and made a ruling that James Gardner could not jump off of a roof mounting his horse because it was breaking the backs of horses. He uh, was such a big man, and I read an article in Reader's Digest that said that James. Garner was telling how that he got in his car and the window was down and he was leaving a restaurant, a night spot, and some man come up and reached in the window and grabbed him by the hair and pulled his head out the window and pulled his head down over the edge of the door, a window of the car, and started beating him. And he was going to rob him. And I beat on him and beat on him. And finally someone saw it and the police came running up and the man fled away. And James Gardner told the policeman, he said, I wish you'd have stayed away about five more minutes. He said, I think he was wearing out. And he said, I was fixing to get him. <laughs> Amen. Enough, enough sense of humor to go along with it, I guess. Uh, but you don't find that today much in people. That, that something there that has got that grit of just balling up their spiritual fists and saying, hey, I'm in it to stay. I'm in it to stick to the end of it. That that's something there. I, I'll fish around here a little bit, maybe and come up with a choice word to call it. Uh, but the best I can call it is an attitude that says, never say die. Uh, never say die. I just 
I'm in it to stay, I'm in it to fight, I'm in it to battle to the very bloody end of it, if it takes that. Amen. Just the grit of it. I found out that these men, the posture that they was in is the posture of a majority of folks today. Just sitting, afflicted and sick and maimed and hurt and wounded. And they're perishing and dying in that attitude. I pastored a lady some years back, and now they've moved on somewhere else. I don't suppose she's any different she was then. But one night I asked her to come up to testify. And she started out real pitiful, and she said, You know, I haven't been happy in my life living for God for years. I always remember back when I was so happy in God. She went on commencing to tell the tale of how somebody had hurt her feelings. And from that time of wound on, from that that piercing hurt in her life to that day, she was sitting around in remorse with a spirit of leprosy that was killing her day by day, taking life and strength and joy out of her life. A sitting posture will be the consequence of loss of muscle tone. I have a friend of mine that's a quadrupedic. No use of arms or legs from an automobile accident. The doctors told him there may come a time in your life that the nerves that are destroyed will partially return. And upon their return, you regain feeling in your legs. You regain feeling in your arms. But he said, you only have a matter of months from the time of your injury. You never recover regardless of how much nerve repair is done. For because of use of the muscles, though the repair is done to the motor nerves that makes the muscles respond, that in your sitting posture, month after month and year after year, the muscles will deteriorate to when the nerves do regain, there's no muscles to rebuild. And I wonder sometimes when I watch folks wounded and injured, sitting on pews month after month, pastor preaching, churches, services, just somehow surmounting the greatest obstacles of praise, and people sit there hurt and wounded and pouting. I wonder if there is a possibility that when your nerves and when sense does come back to you, that you'll find yourself so out of tone that you'll not be able to come out of it again. So these men said, why sit we here until we die? How long can you sit on a pew and mourn and suffer and agonize and feel hurt and wounded without somehow losing some place in God? I don't know if I'm preaching to everybody here tonight, but I'm preaching to enough folk that I've got a message that needs to be said. 
I witness it in church after church. I'm wounded. I'm offended. I'm hurt. Somebody's made me mad. Somebody's insulted me. And we'll get back in our little cubicle of life. And there's two and still in that wound until we lose our muscle tone. A sitting posture is not a standing posture. And in a sitting posture, there's a lack of vision. There's a lack of foresight and distance. And while you're sitting in that position, you're losing hopes of the future. You're losing visions of the church and its plan. So while you're sitting in this position, there's no spiritual change in your life. There's no altering in your concept. There's no hopes of things that are to come. You'd be surprised of people that have sat on pews that the posters and the groundwork and the blueprints and all the specs of the new church on the back wall means little or nothing to them because they're still living way back somewhere in their life, sitting bemoaning and suffering. Give money to a new project to support the zeal of the ladies auxiliary. Why should I support it? I supported it once before and got my feelings hurt. I'm asking you a question. Why sit there till you die? This church is not going to quit. This church is not going to perish. This church is not going to quit building buying and serving. This church is not going to quit reaching out to Louisiana. This church is going on. This church is laboring. This church is praying. This church is spending energy. Why set you there? Thank God there's a faculty of this church that's found the vision of God. And they're saying, I never shall die. I never shall perish. I'm going on whatever others do. And while you're sitting, you're losing time. You're losing muscle tone. You're losing vision. You're losing time. You're losing time. You're wasting away. Gray hairs have come upon you. Oh, Ephraim, you're a silly dove. You're a cake half turned. Your hairs have turned gray. You've looked to Syria. You've called to Egypt, the writer said. And your very hope is right where you are. Another church looks better. Charismatic churches look more liberal. It looks more free. Well, if there wasn't hard preaching about this or that, my in-laws would come to church. My children would stay saved. If there was more liberties in the church, why sit you there until you die? Why have a concept of perishing? Why have a concept of going down the tubes of sin and world? These men said, why sit we here? Never say die. If I go there, it's death. If I go here, it's death. If I sit here, it's death. So if it's death, I shall stand on my feet. I shall get up. I shall have vision. I shall not perish in a sitting posture. I shall not 
perish complaining against a pastor. I shall not perish. Amen. Sitting in a pouting corner out of the choir. I shall not perish complaining against the saints. I shall not perish. I never shall say die, but I shall stand on my spiritual feet. I shall pull myself up and say there's still a chance. There's still a hope. There's still a God that saves. Hallelujah. 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 I ask myself a question. What makes people give up so easy? Guilt. Guilt. Guilt of past failures. Guilt of words that are unretrievable. Guilt. The Bible said if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. And Paul said, now there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. If you're sitting back in a pew because you've been a failure, the apostle Paul said among sinners, I am chiefest. I am the chiefest of sinners. If you had a bad day, you've had a bad spirit. If lust has dominated your members, why don't you hit an altar in a Pentecostal church and say, God save me. God help me. You can sit on your pews in guilt until you die. Or you can get up and go back to Calvary's cross and let it wash you again with a crimson flow of blood from Calvary's brow. He's still a savior. He's still a forgiving Christ. He's still the God that loves you and forgives you. John saw him, the Lamb of God, that taketh away the sins of the world. Amen. Amen. Wrong concepts of God. Wrong ideals of God. I've watched people sit down right in the mud hole of life because they didn't believe God could do anything. Some preacher told me years ago that God couldn't this and God couldn't that. I heard him say to Abraham one time, is there anything too hard for me? I heard the answer to the prophecy of Jeremiah. I know there is no thing too hard for him. I know a God tonight, friend, that can wash your sins away. I know a God tonight night that can pull you out of sin's dark hole. I know a God sinner man, backslider, wretched saint that can turn your life around. Amen. 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 Never say die. Never say die. Never say die. I preached to folks that didn't even believe God could save them. They were so wicked. And I've gone over there in a book and I've dug them out of the book. I've shaken the dust off their bony graves and showed them adulterers and liars and curses and profane, profane men. I've shown them men that was idolatrous. I've shown them men in the Bible and women in the Bible that the crowd of society that was wretched wouldn't associate with them. 
I'll show them cities, amen, of ill refuge. But I'll show them God's still God. God's still merciful. I believe the psalmist David in the 136th chapter of Psalms, 26 times, I hear him saying at the end of every verse, His mercy endureth forever. His mercy endureth forever. I'm preaching to somebody tonight. You're sunk down in the very belly of hell. Seaweeds wrapped around your life. You're saying, I can't go on. I've sinned too much. I'm such a failure. But get out of that pew. Get on your feet and never say die. As long as there's life, there's hope. As long as there's breath, there's God. As long as there's a church. Amen. There's forgiveness. Why do we sit here and die? Why do we sit here and perish? Why do we just sit here and give up? Some of you big robust men around here, and some of you women likewise, you wouldn't give up? That Some of you women wouldn't give up in an argument with your husband if he blacked both of your eyes. You got enough grit and glue about you, you'd argue to the last of it. I told my wife... Did y'all, did you ever all hit, hit somebody, hit you last, hit you last, hit you last? You ever do that with your wife? 22 and a half years of marriage. I've never won yet. Not once. I, I've waited in the night till she went asleep and touched her to get the last hit in. And when she crawled out of the bed in the morning... She hit me just in case I did. Amen. You don't win. Now, would to God that we could get some of that gutsiness about us, some of that intestinal fortitude about us, that when the devil's trampled our lives, when the devil's ground us down to powder, the Bible said they stoned Paul, and to Paul laid in a heap of death. And when the crowd walked away and left him buried in the heap of stone and debris, the Bible said he shook himself and stood up on his feet and preached Jesus Christ. Preached Jesus Christ. Where is the church today that'll say, I don't care what the trial is. I don't care what the battle is. I'm going to get back up. I'm going to get on my feet. I'm going to stand up for Jesus. I'm not going to quit. Never say die. Never say die. Never say die. Hang on to there's nothing to hang on to. And then look what Job said. For God stretched the north out over an empty place and hung the earth on nothing. You can hang on to the same thing that the world's hanging on to. Nothing. And still have your faith in God.
see folks throw down their hymnals. Hey, man, I'm not singing in the choir no more. Hey, man, I've got my feelings hurt. I see folks getting up in deserting pews and churches and pastors and just quitting over the silliest things ever was in the world. You hear me? Quitting over anything. I preached years ago for a church in Tennessee, and there was a man there. He had a little bulldog, a little stub-tailed bulldog, and he named him John Kennedy. Later, he got another one named him Robert Kennedy. <laughs> I guess they was Democrat dogs or something. I don't know. But old John Kennedy, the first day I backed my trailer in that church, come hopping across the, the, the churchyard and got up alongside of my little old trailer, and he had a, a mechanic shop rag in his mouth. And he dropped it down right at my feet while I was unhooking the trailer. And, and I said, hello, dog, what's your name? You know, just talking to him. And his master come over, and he said, that's John Kennedy. And I said, well, he's a good-looking dog. And he said, he wants to play with you. That's the reason he dropped that rag there. I said, oh, all right. I said, just a little bit. And I got my trailer set up. And the little dog was following me around that rag in his mouth. And he dropped it right behind my heels. So I reached back and I grabbed it. When I did, he grabbed the other end of it. And the tug of war was on. He jerked and I jerked and pulled and tugged. And we nearly tore the rag up. And finally, I never did get it. And I let him go. And he went on home. I was there for about a week and a half in revival. Every day, here comes John Kennedy across the churchyard, drop that rag down at the trailer door and go to barking. And I'd come outside and get a hold of it and jerk around. And I told my wife, I said, that dumb dog has took that rag home every single day. It's about time for me to take it home one night. And I grabbed that rag one day and I jerked and pulled and yanked and pulled. And if he had dentures, I'd have pulled him out. Yanked and pulled and tugged on that rag. And I said, John Kennedy, I'm getting the rag today, whether you like it or not. And I picked him straight up in the air, and I held him just like this. I braced my arm, and I held him, and I held him. And he shook and snorted and snorted and grunted until the little tail wouldn't swing anymore. But he never let go. Amen. I finally just let him down and gave up, let him go home. The day I pulled out, I hooked on my trailer, and I pulled out to the front of the church, and here he come, and he had the rag in his mouth, and he dropped it right down with the car door. I said, get your rag and go on. You, you don't play fair. You've had the rag all week. You've never let me have it one time. Get out of here, John. Go on. Get out of here. And he walked off about 10 feet and stood there. I said, as soon as I unlock the door, you're going to race up here and grab it. Go. Get out of here. I, and he went clear across the yard and sat down on his haunches and just cocked his head and perked one ear up and watched me. And I opened it up and I picked up the rag and I said, you don't want it? You could just read his mind. You can't get it unless I give it to you, bud. <laughs> Amen. And I carried that rag around under the seat of my car for years and years. And every time I'd look at it, I'd think, dear God, give me the grip on you that that dog had on a rag. Give me the desire, God, to take what I've got and get a hold of it. Get a hold of it. And tell this devilish world, to tell this compromising generation, to tell this lackadaisical apostate preaching age, I've got a truth. I've got a hold of the gospel. i got a hold of a message and a salvation. And it's never say die. It's hold on. Hold on. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. He's going to split the clouds of glory. And I want to be hanging on to this book and this truth when he comes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Never say die. The book's full of them. We could preach them all night long. 
we can find men like Enoch that walked in a generation and a time when everybody was dying, when everybody was giving up, when everybody was selling out. But the Bible said he had a testimony that pleased God. Hallelujah. And he outthought death itself. He kept on talking to the glory of God, raptured him to eternity. And when this church gets that same revelation in his heart, I'm not changing, but I'm holding on to truth. Praise God. Ten years from now, amen, I'd like to see a congregation of a thousand in life tabernacle, all of them with holiness hairdos, all of them with holiness ideals, all of them living the old-time apostolic tongue-talking, what a baptism in Jesus' name, one God eternal Christ message of salvation still ringing clear in this city. You remember I said it. This crazy world's always made its revolutions. It's always made its turns and twists. But let me say this to you. There's always been a time of revelation when it all woke up and looked for the real truth. And I want you to know there's going to be a church that's going to say, never say die, never say give up. There's times of pressures and the intimidation of this world. Pressures of preacher, and he wonders to himself, am I too strong? Is it too hard? Could I cut a corner here? Could I cut a corner over there? There's no corners to cut, friend. There's no place to compromise. There's no place to give it up. And so the best thing to do, rather than just to sit down, fold her arms, and collapse on her knees, is just say, thank God. Amen. For the same old-time, old-fashioned, true message of God that has sustained us thus far is going to take us to the glory and the golden gates of God. Amen. Hallelujah. I can't do it. I can't. I, I just can't. I give up. I never got it. I never won it. No way whatsoever. I've seen men absolutely pull the fibers out of their muscles like an ox, and when it can't take the load, will go down to its knees and tear the hide off of them, trying to pull it anyhow. Amen. We live in a pansy. Oh, Sissified, frail world today. Well, I'm hurt. I'm quitting. I'm offended. I'm quitting. I've come to the revelation and the attitude and the frame of mind. That's all you got. You probably haven't got enough to take you through anyhow. Amen. Come on, church. Hallelujah. I smell something, y'all. Something out here tonight needs to talk to just a little bit. Glory, glory. Got somebody offended in my church here a while back. I got so angry at him one night. I mean, I got angry. I come to the pulpit to preach to him. Had a good, pretty good little sermonette together. You know, sermonette for saintettes and sermons for sermon folks and all that. And I was kind of preaching along a little bit and folks were yawning, folks going in and out. I told him, I said, if, if, if ever I change my profession, I'm going to be a kidney specialist. I'm going to take up the medical field, be a kidney specialist and attend the biggest Pentecostal church in the country. Amen. I've never seen the like of people and go so long without going to the bathroom until they come to church and then they got to go twice. Uh, every service. Finally, I, 
I got angry and I, I sat in the pulpit and I stopped and I folded up my Bible and I picked up my wristwatch and I stuck it in my pocket and I said, if you think I got to preach to a bunch of dumb heads, you're wrong. And I walked out. <laughs> I went to my office and sat down and I thought, dumb head? You talking about a dumb head? You acting like that. My wife come up to the office. She said, honey, don't feel bad. I said, I feel like quitting. I'm so disturbed. And I went home and I called a preacher friend up and I said, hey, I said, let me tell you what I just done. I told him, he laughed and laughed and laughed. I said, it's not funny. He said, you mean you've been pastoring this long and preaching this long? That's the first time you've ever done that? I said, it sure was. But you know what? It wasn't too long after that. I got that same feeling come on me. And I stopped and I looked at him. I said, let me tell you all something. You can sit there that way if you want to. You ain't killing this preacher. Ain't no way. Hey, man, I got the bull of the tail. I made up in mind I've come here to preach a message. If it makes the devil mad, if he chases his tail to eternity, it doesn't make a bit of difference. The gospel's right. The book's still solid. It's still recorded in heaven. There's still a God that wins. Hallelujah. And I'm going to say, never say die. Never say die. I'm going to go on, go on, go on. If mama quits, I'm going on. If dad quits, I'm going on. If everybody quits, there's still a heaven to save my soul. And I'll go on. Amen. Why sit there? You sit so long, if you'd get up, we'd hear your knees pop. Amen. Brooding and stewing and backsliding in your soul. I'm going to preach this long enough, I'm going to find your name, and I'm going to run down there and grab you by the earlobe and drag you to the altar. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Sister, you need to get up and say, hey, I got my feelings hurt, but it's time to go on and love God and serve the Lord and love the church and love my pastor. Eli, the Bible tells us, was the high priest of God. He raised a bunch of children that were sons of Eli. He had a lot of trauma and tragedies in his life. And ere the lights had gone out in the temple, God raised up a little boy named Samuel to keep the lights burning. Amen of the prophecies of God. But listen to me carefully and listen to me so cautiously. The Bible said there came a day that Israel went to war and they took the Ark of the Covenant, the essence of the presence of God. And when they went out against the Philistines to fight, the Bible said the Philistines overwhelmed them and killed the sons of Eli and stole the presence of God, took the Ark of the Covenant away and put it in the house of Dagon their God. And the messenger came back and told Eli what had happened. And the Bible said he was a fat man and he sat upon a stool. And when they came and told him the message, the Bible said he fell backwards from his stool and broke his neck and he died. And his daughter gave birth to child, or his daughter-in-law gave birth to child. And they named him Ichabod, which meant the Spirit of God had departed from us. But I want you to see what the Bible said. It said Eli was sitting in a seat by the wayside. He had found a place to sit down and quit. He had found a place to sit and dwell sumptuously in his own pitiful condition. But had he got on his feet and lit the candles of the tabernacle and listened to the voice of the God that Samuel heard, he would not have died. 
He died in unconcern. He died sitting in a little corner. He died in separation. He died in a withdrawn place. He perished because he wanted to pull back and let everybody feel sorry for him. Amen. Amen. I've watched him sit on trees with their lips shot out, out and in Amen. You just want to hear the preacher tonight. I've got a message. I've got a message to you. Sitting in a seat by the wayside. Dying, perishing, perishing, dying. But these men said unanimously. They joined hands together and said, Hey, why sit we here? Why sit we here? If it's death every place, then let's die standing on our feet. Let's die with a sword in our hand. Let's die holding on to truth. Let's die with one hand in the air saying, Preach, pastor. Preach, preacher. Preach, evangelist. Let's stand on our feet and say, I'm behind the church. I'm behind the gospel. I'm going to go on. And if I die, I'll be standing straight up when it comes. Glory. Glory. Amen. Parents, are you hearing me? We give up too quick on our young men. We give up too quick on them. Well, I can't do anything with them. They can do anything they want to. They slam the doors and come and go as they please. How old are, are they? Seven years old. Amen. You can take a rod to them. That's a little old boy who walked into a church many, many years ago. Mean, hateful, smart aleck little youngin. Finally, the Sunday school superintendent took the young man in the arm and walked him to the church door, and he said, you see that street, boy? Get on it, and don't you ever come back to this church, ever. He didn't, as long as he lived. Years later, years later, picture covering the front part of the Chicago Tribune showed a pair of shoes, a man with a corpse laying on his back. And the shot was made from the bottom of those shoes to the length of that corpse. Amen. And the picture there on the front page of that Chicago paper had underneath it a caption, Here is the feet of John Dillinger. And I've thought so many times, Amen, somebody said die. Somebody said hit the street, son. Somebody just gave up. And I look in my Bible and I see people in this Bible, Judas's, and I see Achan's, and I see others that just in the town gave up. Demius's, for the love of this present world, gave up just too soon. But there's a balance of men in this Bible that said, it's not a given up time, mom and dad. It's not a given up time, wife, husband. It's not a given up time, teenager. But it's a time to say, one more day for Jesus. One more day to hold on. One more year of serving God. One more anniversary service for Jesus Christ. Sitting by the wayside, and somebody said, Your mouth. Bartimaeus, the Bible said, cried the more. <laughs> Woo, blind, sitting in the dirt and dust, came out of animals passing by. 
But there was something inside of that blind man that said, never say die. Jesus, thou son of David, from the best thing we do, that's that woman, ultimate we can give. And that woman got up one day and said, never say die. Never sat down. She pressed through a crowd. She pressed through a crowd. She pressed through a crowd. This is not the end. If I can touch the hem of Jesus Christ, I can be made whole. young man by the name of James, small church in Tennessee years ago, he'd come to all to get the Holy Ghost, he baptized an old frog pond out behind the church, had to throw rocks at a water snake to get him out of the water that night to baptize amen, he'd come out of the water and run up on the shore and it was cold and I said, how you feel, he said, I don't know yet how I feel, but he said, I smell like a frog, one night in church, about 10.30, he hit the altar, fell on his back and started crying out to God. We prayed that we couldn't pray another ounce. He opened up his eyes. He said, Preacher, you better start praying because I've come to get the Holy Ghost. 11 o'clock, 11.30, still praying. I was wore out. The fact is, I was laying on the floor on my side with my head propped up on my elbow, and I was leaning over towards the ear, and I was saying, Pray, James, pray, man, pray, James, pray. Amen, hoping he'd pray through and we'd go home. He rolled over and he looked me right in the face. He said, Preacher, you just well get down to business because I'm not leaving until I get the Holy Ghost. Come on, preacher, pray. Come on and pray. Quarter till 12 o'clock. And I looked at him and I said, I don't know. I don't know if he's going to get it or not. Now I watched him as he raised those hands up and they'd just fall in fatigue. And he'd raise them up and they'd fall. Ten minutes or 12, he said, Preacher, pray some more. I come to get the Holy Ghost. About 10 minutes from midnight, that young man started talking in tongues, and he talked till after midnight. God filled him with the Holy Ghost. Whoa, we give up so easy. We surrender so easy today, folks. We give up so easy. I hope the Vietnam philosophy of spirits not got into the church. I hope the no-wind spirits not got in the church. I hope the attitude is, well, I tried once and that was all, and so I give up. I hope that's not he got in your life. But I hope. I hope it hasn't. I hope there's still a peck through the crowd. I hope, I hope somehow there's still that. J.P. Bass years ago had a lady in his church, and she came to him. She said, Brother Bass, I've tried everything in the world to get the Holy Ghost. I've done everything you told me to do. You know how they say, give up, give up, hold on, hold on. Jesus, Jesus, fast, pray. You know, I told a man one time if he had to get the Holy Ghost falling on his back and kicking one leg straight up in there. Get it. He tried it. It worked. I was in church one time when there was a man, and every night he prayed for the Holy Ghost, he'd lean on a chair. And then he'd raise his hands and praise God, and then he'd rest leaning on a chair. I didn't know that was his program. He'd been doing it for years. He looked like a piece of stove wood hitting the floor. Amen. And I got down to play with him. He was just talking in tongues. At the church that night, he said, I'll tell you what happened. He said, I thought that I died and my spirit was going out of me and I was just falling. I remember an old black sister by the name of Bessie Carter years ago. 
she said there was a black man praying in the altar. And she said she was down praying with him. And she was just a praying and sweating and praying. And he had his head down on the altar this way of praying. And she said she wasn't paying attention. She was just in earnest to get him filled with the Holy Ghost. Praying, praying, and praying, and calling on God. And she opened her eyes and looked, and she said, that outfit was snoring. He had gone sound asleep. Her just a little, little stocky black woman wasn't even five foot tall. She said, it made me so mad. She said, I balled my fist up, and she said, I hit him right smack in the middle of the forehead. As hard as I could hit him, I was so mad. And he just fell straight backwards on his back and was speaking in tongues. He thought the power of God had hit him. Amen. Amen. Oh, God. Oh, God. Where is it today? Brother Bass said, this woman, finally, she said, Brother Bass, I feel like just giving up. I feel like just not coming back to church. He said, don't you give up. Everything you do, you praise God. Everything you do with your life, you believe God. And she got up the next morning and made the bed and fluffed the pillows and tightened up the sheet and laid out the bedspread and every move she made, she'd say, Hallelujah. She went all through the house, everything she did, sweeping with a broom, Hallelujah. And the bass said everything she did all morning was Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. About 10, 30, 11 o'clock, she was in one of the children's bedroom and you know how a lady will take a, a sheet and she'll, you know, a blanket and do this with it, you know. She done that, hallelujah. She done it again. She said, hallelujah. Hallelujah. It kept feeling better every time she'd do it. Hallelujah. Amen. A never-die attitude. And the phone rang at the pastor's house, and Brother Bass answered, and, and the lady said on the phone, she said, you don't know me, but she said, I understand that you have a lady by the number so-and-so in your church. And he said, yes, that's right. She comes to my church. She's new here. She said, well, I'm her next-door neighbor, and I think you need to rush to her house as soon as possible. It's serious. And he just hung up the phone and jumped in his car, and he knew the woman in depression had committed suicide, killed herself. Brother Bass went flying through the streets of Ocala, got to her house, stopped the car, and when he jumped out of the car, she was standing in the driveway of the house with the sheets talking in tongues, waving that sheet at Jesus. Out in the front yard. Oh, God. You get it inside of you. Never say die. Never say it's over. But say there's still a chance. There's still a chance. God can't do it for me. If one thing won't work, try something else. Hallelujah. There's still tools in the toolbox that'll work the job. There's still avenues of faith to walk on in this church. Hallelujah. And if you've got an attitude of die, everything's die, kill everything in the church, you ought to be a, go ahead and sit down and die. But there's a church that says never say die. Amen. Amen. There's always a knucklehead in the church that everything you want to promote, it won't work. <laughs> Cabbage heads. They make good kraut, and that's all. <laughs> it won't work. 
No work. Aren't you glad for those people that sell some of the part anyhow? Aren't you glad for those people that put their shoulder to the wheel and keep shoving it? Amen. Keep moving that old stone. Amen. A never die attitude. You'd still be somewhere on the back streets of this city struggling with a little mission church because a great man and his wife and family said, never say die. Never say die. Well, what do we need? Well, dear God, there he goes again, tearing down a building, trying to build another building. Here we go again. More money to raise, more work to do. Why don't we ever come to a place that we can just enjoy what we got to be happy? Now, I can tell the way y'all respond, and there must be a half a dozen of them around here has been talking. Hey, hey, hey. Hallelujah. Oh, but I'm glad for B.A. Spell that says, never say die. Never say die. Never say die. This is always going to be the best church in this city. This is always going to be the best growing church in this city. This is always going to be the best congregation in this city. Hallelujah. When my name's on the marquee, amen, it's at Live Tabernacle because I like to rub shoulders with the best of folks. When the folks will say, never say die. We're going on for God. We're serving God. It's still holiness or hell. Praise God. Praise God. Come on, stand with me. I preach all night. Hallelujah. Never say die. Jacob was a man that never said die. And this is a church that never says die. This is a church that goes on and on and on and on, 26 years. Praise the Lord. Amen. I guess it's a refreshing thing to have our president that we have. I'm not here to pr promote a politics. Amen. But isn't it nice having no head up there that just tells folks where to get off. <laughs> someone, someone wrote him a letter the other day and some elderly family and said, we understand that you're going to cut all the Social Security out and we're going to be without anything. And Mr. Reagan got on the news and read the letter and he said, I want you to tell whoever's spreading that rumor around they're full of malarkey, whatever malarkey is. Amen. Don't you like that? Don't you like that? There's nothing any more repugnant to me than a man that walks around. We've got a young man in our church. He makes two of most of us. Great big old stout boy. He's so sissy, bless his heart. We got a sister in our church. She's a little on the masculine side. And she went up to him the other night and she said, I'll tell you what, I'll make a deal with you. I was standing close by when she did it. He said, what? She said, I'll teach you. I'll teach you how to walk like a man if you'll teach me how to carry a purse. <laughs> and I love it. I like that. He come driving. He come driving in the driveway in a pickup truck here a while back. And when he climbed out of it, I said, "Come here, come here." 
I said, now listen, for the sake of us fellas that drive pickup trucks, I said, I want you to go get a little dirty and get some tattered shoes and muss your hair up, get some grease under your fingernails and walk like a man. Because us guys that drive pickup trucks think we're men. We like men driving pickup trucks. He takes it in the best spirit. He's doing pretty good. Amen. Nobody likes the weak, patsy, covered around attitude. Have you ever read the book? I'm closing the best I can. But there's a book written by a man, I believe his name is Barton. Seemed to me like his name is Barton. He wrote a book years and years ago. It's the only book I have in my library that belonged to my grandfather, which was the pastor of the Methodist Church in my hometown many, many years ago. And the name of the book is The Man Nobody Knew. And he grew up all his life believing that Jesus was a fair-skinned, soft-hand individual that went around kissing babies and petting little lambs. And so he never did like Jesus. He always liked Daniel and Samson and David and all the tough guys. And he grew up to be a columnist, a news columnist. And one day, in a depressed state, he turned to the Bible and he opened it up and he read one of my favorite places in the Bible and he wrote a story about it. The man nobody knew. Amen. Jesus in the temple with a scourging whip in his hand. Playing the backs of those men and kicking over tables of money changers and driving them out of the house of God. Wow, what a man, what a man, what a man. God's looking for soldiers today. Great peace of they that love thy law, nothing shall offend them. God's looking for men and women that say, never say die. Never give up, never quit. Amen. Never quit. Let's sing a chorus of song. There's people in this house tonight, I know it by the Spirit of the Lord, there's people in this house tonight. You've got that passive, let the devil shove you around attitude. Why don't you tell that old fox that today and tomorrow you're going to do cures and heal. And the third day you're going to be perfected. Why don't you tell that world out there? Why don't you tell those so-called charismatic friends, I'm glad I'm in a holiness church. Why don't you get some backbone about you? Jack-legged preachers, all they're preaching for is a pocketbook and a cr-